Manchester City's record signing. Well, he has missed a few. Mares for Manchester City, left foot in, and he skied it! But almost went into the second deck of the Anfield Roadster. Welcome to the Two Red Gringos. I'm your host, Phil Bakke, joined as always, and for the first time as an engaged man by Patrick Staley. Pat, congratulations and welcome. Hey, hey. Thank you, thank you. So we kicked it off with a little bit of Francis and the Lights. Um, oh, Francis. Kind of summed up a, the mood around Liverpool a little bit right now. Uh, it'll be better. Two reasons why I picked that song. Number one is, yes, the front three, it could could be better. It'll be better. Uh, but then also is because, as I as we chatted before, it sounds like this generation's version of Randy Newman. So I, those two things combined, and I thought, well, we, you, you got to lead off with Francis. And I can't, I can't, I can't dispute that at all. He does, he, he does sound like, like the Randy Newman of our generation. Yeah, maybe with like slightly less of a speech impediment, but <laughs> is that I mean yeah. is that what Randy Newman had? I mean that's that's my PC diplomatic term for right the way he sings, but yeah, <laughs> Francis has got a little bit of that. Well, uh, it will be better, but we're going to kick things off as we always do with a mm-hmm. little segment we like to call "Pick Your Poison." So, Pat. What poison do you have picked for tonight? Well, you know, we were chatting in Chicago prior, and I have the Goose Island 312, or has, or as everywhere else outside of Chicago calls it, a 312. Yep. For example, <laughs> here in Mexico, uh, uh, Tres Doce, <laughs> as it's known. <laughs> that's, uh, that's pretty brilliant. I'm, I'm glad you can get your hands on it in Mexico. It, Goose Island's uh, 
dis- distribution game is is hitting some peak levels right now. They're doing well down here, and I think it's Dan Staley would would give me a hard time for saying that it's a Chicago beer. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he's kind of right because now it's owned and operated by, well, we don't have to get into all that. But, yeah, distribution is uh, is finely tuned and operating at a high level. Goose Island's like Allison out here with his distribution. Oh, pin, long balls. <laughs> just pinpoint. Just long balls from Goose Island. <laughs> so, uh, so as as you know, but uh, for our listeners, I took a took a little trip to some pretty familiar stomping grounds for for you um, sure. these days. Tucson, Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the uh, the in laws are are from Tucson, right? Yeah, the the soon to be whenever that is mother-in-law. <laughs> uh right. Tucson, Arizona. Yeah, right. Allie's from Arizona. Yeah. So uh so I was back in Tucson and uh we had we had talked cuz the last episode you recorded from Tucson, I believe. So um, Oh yeah. And we had we had talked a little bit about the beer game out there. Um and I was able to find a, a a place that was pretty cool downtown called Tap and Bottle, um, okay. which is like a beer or uh, like a beer bar and also a, a, like a, a store. Um, so they sell the growlers, all that kind of stuff, but they also sell bottles and cans of, uh, of, of beers. And so we were able to get our hands on some Arizona stuff. Um, so I went as hipster as possible. Cause how else do I do it? Oh, you know, yeah. that's, what, yeah, um, that's how you roll. So I found I don't know actually who even makes this beer because it was a collaboration between this tap and bottle store and the beer the shop beer company, um, mm. and uh, it's called Fearless Mastermind. Enter the Indie Culture Volume Five. <laughs> okay, have you are you familiar with the first four volumes? <laughs> I am not. All? I skipped straight okay. to the fifth. <laughs> uh, it's the best one. Yeah, I started right in the middle. Um, I'm re- <laughs> I'm experiencing them out of order, uh, but then I also got my hands on, and I'm excited for this one: a Mother Road Brewing Company Lost Highway Double Black IPA. So we'll okay. see see where that goes. Okay, uh, but yeah, so like I, like I had said previously, Tucson and I think Arizona in general, I think they just gravitate towards towards the towards the blondes and the mm-hmm. loggers. They do. Um, but yeah, so I was able to get my hands on a couple of couple of beers from from Arizona, and I got to say I enjoyed uh, my time out in Tucson, despite the fact that it was parents' weekend at University of Arizona, which we did not know ahead of time. Ooh. Yeah, that'll, that'll drive up that'll drive up hotel hotel prices a night. But no, it's it's like a nice like nice version of El Paso in a way. Mm-hmm. Like there are some elements, but then you've got resorts and and certain kind of high level things that El Paso doesn't necessarily have. Right. It it's I mean I I'd, I'd say it's like looking into El Paso's near term future a little I'll give bit. You that. Um it doesn't seem too far away from that but yeah you're right there's a couple of amenities that Tucson has that El Paso's not quite at yet but yeah um but definitely headed that way. So um well, you want to just jump straight into talking about city, despite the Let's fact do it. that it's uh, 
this is tough. This is the first uh, non-victory that we have to talk about uh, on the on the pod, um, and it's been a little bit of a weird stretch for the Reds uh, since we last since we last spoke. Um, so I just want to start off with the general impression. So obviously, you know, it ends zero zero. The the late penalty miss kind of contributing to that, but a game where both teams were kind of frustrated. It felt like kind of from start to finish. Yeah, yeah. It was the first time, I think maybe ever in, un, under Pep that we've seen City play play that scared and that defensively. But credit to them, I think the same way that Pep gave credit to LFC is that I think we played. Kind of similar to that, though, as well. We were pretty defensive. I, I think both sides were a little bit afraid to go for it, especially in the first half. Second half, they started trading blows a little bit. But overall, both teams seemed more afraid to lose than than they wanted to win, which is uh, about the opposite of what you usually get between a Klopp-Pep showdown. Yeah, I think uh, the the timing in the season – and the position in the table kind of prompted this performance out of both teams because yeah when we saw this game you know at at Anfield last season it was after the new year um Liverpool were really only competing for the Champions League at that point so the league was you know go for broke to get fourth um and ensure that we are back in the Champions League so we played with that kind of reckless abandon where we were yeah. going to go at city city was comfortably at the top of the table, no, nothing to lose really um, at that point in the season. So they played attacking, we played attacking and that's why you get the four, three fireworks <laughs> at Anfield last season. Whereas this season you could tell both teams are staring at, you know, 20 out of a possible 24 points to open the season yeah. headed into an international break. Um, and that caution just, uh, just really kind of pervaded the whole the whole match um, from both sides, which, like like you said, is is kind of odd to see from from those two managers, especially. Um, but there was one player that, in particular, that you want to start start things off with, and I <laughs> I will gladly put some respect on on Joe <laughs> Gomez's name, but you can you can elaborate on your respect, Big Joe Gomez. Well, first off, can you imagine? being a previously like a Chelsea fan, a United fan under Mourinho playing that defensively week in week out, (laughs) how absolutely awful it is because I mean, let's the city match was, it was played at a high tempo and high intensity, but it was a dull match. Like the XG for both teams was incredibly low. So uh, having to deal with that week in week out, especially for United, you know, maybe Everton too, but just that level of play was so we've been bad, you know, kind of against Napoli, which we'll, we'll glaze over that one because work got in the way, I think for both of us, but rightfully (laughs) so because it was miserable. Like we've been bad before, but there's never been like this commitment to defensive stability, at least in a way that, that, stalls maybe the midfield and the offense too so but in terms of defensive stability big joe gomez i didn't see a lot of man of the matches floating around there mostly lovering 
maybe secondary for Henderson uh, and then Wijnaldum probably too, even though Van Dyke was unbelievable except for his, you know, moment moment of passion towards <laughs> the end. But we'll talk about that later. Yeah. But Gomez, and I think the reason why is because he made such an, <laughs> a mind-blowing error whenever he just scuffed or I don't even know what he was doing. It didn't even look like he scuffed it. It looks like that looked that was his plan was just to miss hit not even a clearance but apparently maybe he was crossing it to Robertson I have no idea what was going <laughs> through his mind like I made the comment at the time even though like we don't know anything about the sport of football in the US but at least we're taught from an early age you never do that right <laughs> like you never do that like never that, clear it basics. back into your yeah. own box <laughs> so aside from that like, but every defender, uh, aside from maybe Robertson, made mistakes. Van Dyke gave away the penalty. Lovren, part of it because of Gomez's error, almost gave away two penalties. Got megged in the box and yeah. and backhanded Jesus. <laughs> and he, everybody's saying he's a man of match. He had a great game. Don't get me wrong. But Gomez shut down Sterling. But that's getting more and more common now at, yeah. at Anfield. But then. I was I was terrified that Sané was going to come on and completely change that game as he often has against us. And Gomez shut him down too. Yeah. So first off, we're not giving Gomez the credit he deserves for shutting down two of the deadliest wingers in the Premier League. But also, when things finally picked up in the second half, and like I said, both sides started going at each other, our offense flowed almost entirely through Gomez. And Gomez, I think, had three... Three key passes or chances created, two more than any other player on the pitch. So Gomez, number one, defensive stability, aside from his error, which many of them made, phenomenal. But going forward, he kind of picked up and provided some balance that we just didn't have at any point until that. So I thought Gomez, just watching the match, was kind of far and away from me, my man of the match. But, you know, I, I can give credit to Leverin. Hendo, I thought, was good. When Alden was good, everybody's getting shouts. But mm-hmm. there wasn't much to really pick from, you know? So right. Gomez, for me, I wanted to give him some love because I didn't see him popping up on any of the uh, the, the Twitter spheres. Uh, man of the match, very official man of the match polls. <laughs> yeah, Gomez, Gomez, for me, he, he amazes me for the, the calmness with which he's taken on new roles this season. So... Yeah, he's played at center back pretty much every game that he's played this season. And then in one of the biggest matches of the season, he is put back at right back (laughs) completely different. uh, You know, Klopp is asking him to do something completely different um, and he still handles it, you know, for basically all but one millisecond of madness. Um, (laughs) He handles it so well. um, and, And it is something where, I don't I don't think people are really appreciating the amount of not just ability like physically that it takes to perform those two different positions um but also his mental capacity to understand his role in the team and yeah. and actually execute it uh as well as he has. So Joe has absolutely blown me away this season um with with how he's adapted to everything and I th- I'm sure, you know, post international break we'll see him back at back at center back and um and you know, doing it just as well as he started the season. So 
that's really what's blowing me away is he, oh, you know, slot in it right back against the best team in the league. <laughs> yep, sure, done. Let's do yep, it. Got it. That's uh, that's it, it's pretty pretty immense on his part to start the season. Um, and yeah, I, don't, say, I don't think we can say enough good about him. And one of the things I, I, I feel like he – we didn't credit him this past season, but I want to say FIFA 19 is at the heart of why we're giving him credit now. And it's because he was criminally underrated in terms of his speed and pace in FIFA 19. And so almost every match now, we're looking to see like what type of pace can he offer – and he's outrunning like some of the fastest players in the league to 50-50 balls. He's chasing down opponents. And same thing now. And all, I'm starting to think maybe the way like Salah or Mane running at you can get in defenders' heads. I wonder if that ever factors into it. Like if you know you can't beat somebody for pace, does that change your approach at all? Because they really didn't try to go over the top on Gomez, which seemed to be – the error he would consistently make last season, right. just misplaying, misplaying balls over the top or crossed and, and losing his marker. And, and Sterling or Sané are the type that'll go right at you. And he held his ground just about every time, had a couple key tackles. They weren't quite as emphatic as Lovren's, but still just completely shutting down that left wing for City. Yeah, the uh, I would say my, one of my favorite moments of the match actually was Gomez had the ball on the right, and Sané was actually chasing him, and Gomez had the ball at his feet, and Sané was tracking back trying to get the ball off him, and at first didn't catch up with him, and then when he did, <laughs> bounced right off of him. Like, he tried to go in for a tackle, just nothing. Wasn't given yeah. an inch. So that was what impressed me, was he beat Sané for pace with the ball down the right, and then he beat him for strength as well. <laughs> so uh, that was just... Joe, I think, in those positions... Um, can make better decisions than, than he did. But our front three can, you could say the same um, about them and they are actual attackers. Uh, and Joe, when he gets forward, I think he, he kind of looks for the crosses in, but does he's not able to pick them out quite as well as, as a Trent or, um, yeah. or, yeah. or Robo. But um, if that's the one weakness in his game, then I, I think we're okay. And you know, I've long been okay with a fullback that, is somewhat limited offensively <laughs> if he provides defensive stability. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, moving on quickly, uh, I just want I just want your opinion on this, and and anyone listening, let us know what you think. Who took the better pen, uh, Riyad Mahrez this weekend or Charlie Adams in the League Cup final <laughs> in 2012? <laughs> Come on, I mean just for. Just for clarity, it, the question is who took the better pen, not who took the worst pen. And it's it's Mares's. In spite of Arlo White's commentary about it ending up in the second second deck or whatever, it like all like it was closer to the crossbar. I want to say as it was going over the goal, and then it looked like it just kept trailing upwards. Yeah. Whereas Charlie Adams was just an unbelievable blast that just went at maybe, I want to say, like a 45-degree angle, just shooting straight up into the air. <laughs> maybe like 60-degree. I don't know. A but nearly impossible angle. <laughs> almost Like, I could not replicate that if I tried. <laughs> Charlie Adams, 10 million pound left foot is yeah. Alex Ferguson. Yeah. The greatest, the greatest troll job of all time. 
<laughs> Alex Ferguson convincing us to buy Charlie Adam. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, no, Charlie Adams pen was far worse. Although I was just as, you know, surprised, I guess, uh, when Mara, Mara steps up, you know, the one thing that you kind of believe about Mara's is that left foot, it can do wonders. Um, and it, it just hasn't, I don't know. It hasn't looked the same since the title winning season to me. Um, he's, he's a great player, but, um, confidence wise, he doesn't seem quite at the level that he was when, when he dragged Leicester to the title. Yeah. It it was, it was a weird fit when city went out and he's, is he city's record signing? He is. Yeah. You can never keep up with with their record signings, (laughs) but I mean, you know, we, we've made a few recently, but no, he doesn't, he just doesn't strike me as, even though I, I, not desperately, but I would have loved to have him in Liverpool. He doesn't really strike me as a Klopp or a Pep style player, right? He's almost like, maybe like an Ozil or something like that. Like a very high quality player, but you don't know. Uh, I'm not shooting down his work rate or anything like that, but I don't. that's not what springs to mind when you think about his game. Yeah, he's a little bit of a, I think they would call him a luxury player. Um, nice to have in the side and definitely bring something, but isn't isn't necessarily down there doing the hard work um but speaking speaking of attacker i don't i want to dwell because that was that being the biggest positive from the matches that we didn't concede a goal from a from a penalty is uh you know and and probably some of the more the the defensive work uh is kind of our our good takeaways so yeah for now i want to i do want to talk about because everybody is talking about our front three and the fact that um, they're not firing quite in the in the way that they were last season, um, but like we talked about to open, City actually showed that front three quite a bit of respect and and sat deep to to frustrate them. Um, yeah. So, do you think that's just something that this front three needs to get used to and find a way to adapt to because they're going to see it all season? I think so. I think maybe more so. Sala than anybody else because Sala I'm not going to say he came from nowhere last season but there wasn't when he started firing there wasn't this attention on him and even for a lot of it it was Liverpool's front three Liverpool's front three but now there's there's a distinct style that teams defensively are setting up to just completely stifle Sala and I think Probably like Firmino's is more of a result of this failure to link up. And and I think more of it has to do with our midfield than maybe just our front three because we're not – we're just not playing to their style. It's it's almost too direct. We're trying to beat with through balls or balls over the top and, and that, that works. But it's not – it works if you can catch somebody out of position or catch them on a counter – and teams are still setting up defensively against us. And so we're not necessarily playing to their strength aside from Robertson pushing forward, Trent pushing forward and trying to connect. So there's, there's just a disconnect in the support that's happening with the front three, but then also just the way that they're kind of linking up together. And I feel like it's, I don't know, it's, it's not like a consistent, positional style of who's doing what like maybe it's Mane dropping in but Mane I feel like sometimes is dropping almost too deep now and so I'm kind of excited to see 
whispers of, we saw it a little bit, but maybe like Shakiri being introduced to the midfield or something happening. And maybe it's Kaita that we have to uh, positionally change a little bit to, to get something more out of them. But I think part of it is just this increased defensive focus that especially Salah is going to have mixed with just being honest and saying we're creating chances, but we're not even creating as many chances as I think we should be. And the front three just isn't at the level that we had hoped it to be. I mean, we can say it's the start of the season, but we're building on a season of success for them. So that should be something where we're able to hit the ground running and have that be an advantage to us as opposed to, say, like an Arsenal or a Chelsea that are dealing with managerial changes and changes in formations and styles. We should have hit the ground running, and we're just not seeing that. Yeah, I, I think you you brought up a really good point uh, in there about about our midfield, and I think I think that is kind of where we're feeling almost a man short every time we attack. Uh, yeah, it does. And I would say a lot of people will, uh, especially on social media, will say like, oh, you know, like this is where we make, miss, you know, Ox and, and this is, you know, his drive and out of midfield and everything. But I, I don't know that it's necessarily even a certain player because like you said, we have, yeah. we have personnel that can do it. Keita can do it. it. It's essentially the role he played at, at Leipzig. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, even even Vinaldum really because by trade he's more of an attacking midfielder than than what he's <laughs> was played he a this winger <laughs> was he a winger yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, so I think when we look at at this problem it's it, I don't know that it's necessarily a an issue of because I yes I don't I don't think our front three is is firing or you know is uh, is linking up quite as well as they did. Um, but in the games where we have played well and have created a lot of chances, uh, the one in particular, I think we talked about it uh, early in the season, I think it was Palace, uh, where we had basically, we had essentially created on the left kind of an attacking trio of yeah. Robertson, Keita, and Mane. And everything down the left, it was all linked up through them and then they could you know they could create space by going more central um but ultimately those three players were linking up a lot and right now the way that we've seen it the past few games I think it's far more direct between the fullbacks and the wide players so everything is going you know Rabo to Mane and back and forth back and forth um and then you know either Trent or in this case Joe to to Salah direct um and i'm talking like short passes you know not anything penetrating but that's those short passes on on the right just to kind of try to create space but without that extra player in that trio you're not really creating that overload that we always ended up seeing last year where all of a sudden it felt like there were far too many attackers for anyone to handle um no matter how you know it didn't really matter how you were set up it was just there were too many people to mark and not enough people to mark them with. Um, and right now, every time we, every time we attack, it just feels like most of these teams have, like they've matched us, you know, at least man for man, if not more. Um, and, and I think that's where we're seeing problems is 
without that link out of midfield, then we're not really we're not really giving teams the problems that we that we gave them last year. And I mean, even thinking about the fact that you know James Milner was our top assist getter in in the Champions League last year, a record setting uh, <laughs> you know ten assists, and I know some of that's from from set pieces. Yeah, but we're not seeing that kind of creation out of midfield in the way that we did um, last season. And I think that's contributing uh, because teams are doing all they can to neutralize the threat from out wide, which essentially handles four of our players uh, in, you know, Robertson and then uh, our right back and Sala and, and Mane. So if they can eliminate that, then they can eliminate quite a bit of our threat. Yeah. Because it, I think that Palace game was one of the few times where we've had one of the midfielders that close to linking up with the front three. Because the most part, it almost seems they they just seem so so far reserved and pulled back on the pitch. Like you kind of mentioned, it's more of this commitment to defensive stability, which we've seen. But I, I don't know then. It's, it seems more tactical, right? It seems like Navicate's more reserved in his play or same for all of our, same for all of our midfielders really. But Nabby's kind of the one where you would expect him to be able to do that. And I feel like earlier in the season, he was providing some dangerous link up closer to that left side, more attacking and recently. And maybe it's just the way that, I don't know, maybe it's the, the schedule, maybe it's, the way that they've been rotated, I have no idea, but they haven't seemed as potent recently, but we've also ran into the hardest part of our schedule too. So, <laughs> I mean, that doesn't explain everything, but definitely something to take note of. Yeah. So I think, I think we can, I think we can attribute some of what we're seeing to, to the tactics that, that have been used, um, in you know Jurgen I think makes a statement when he names that same kind of flat midfield three that we've seen um, yeah of, of Henderson Wijnaldum and Milner I think he makes a statement about what he is trying to do against City um, yeah I think if I like to think that if Jurgen knew how City were going to play. Uh, ahead of time, I like to think that he starts Keita instead, um, or even Shakiri, and and looks to throw in kind of an extra wrench into into City's game plan. Because if they are going to sit back, we've shown that this year we're not we're not the same in terms of if a team sits back against us, we're totally you know, un, unable to, to create and frustrated. We we've shown that we can, we can break teams down even if they sit deep. Yeah. Um, and we can still create chances. So I, I do like to think that Jurgen may have gone for it a little bit more if he knew that city weren't going to, they were going to try to play on the counter. Um, but I think he looked at city similar to how he looked at PSG where he, he thought that midfield three could create enough problems 
for City tracking back uh, that we would win the ball high up and be able to to create chances off of that. Um, and ultimately, City's City's midfield kind of nullified the effect of ours, um, and vice versa. So you know, while they both midfields were working so hard to ca- to cancel each other out that we ended up not really doing anything at the other end. Um, and I think that's kind of where we ended up, uh, not to mention, you know, they had one midfielder who could do as he pleased, um, thanks to the referee. So, uh, <laughs> so that <laughs> may have changed that Fernandinho. Fernandinho. Uh, I could, yeah. With all of us watching it just could not believe like what he was getting away with the, the entire match. He was not booked. He was no. not booked once. It was hilarious because the, uh, he had a cha- uh, uh, he had a challenge um, tracking back in the second half, and it was great because I saw multiple Liverpool fans say, well, "That's a second yellow all day." And I was like, "Yes, it yeah. is." However, he <laughs> hasn't received <laughs> he the first. Not have first, so it will be tough to give him both. Um, although, uh, <laughs> although him, uh, you know, throwing the forearm shiver into the throat of Mane, <laughs> I, I thought that might that might warrant a card, but. But no. alas, no. no. Uh, but as um, as Warnick says, he you know he didn't put anybody's life in it. No, actually, literally, maybe for Mane, he he might have. So yeah, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the one the one midfielder that and you you know you brought you brought Nabi up um, in terms of are we you know can we push our midfield forward at all? And it seems like he's the guy to do it. But Nabi's actually come under quite a bit of, of Twitter fury and scrutiny. Um, is, is Nobby like, what do you expect from Nobby and, and what are we seeing from Nobby right now? Uh, and is it indicative of, of a larger issue or is he just, he's just trying to do what the boss is asking him to do? I think so. I think he's playing, it's a little cliche, but kind of playing within himself and, and, and maybe almost feeling it out as, as he goes through, you know, I think LSE Twitter was really disappointed in his commitment and work rate against Napoli and him wanting to come off so early in the match, you know, they rightfully holding that against him. The idiots like he, he goes off after 18 <laughs> minutes or, or whatever against Napoli with like stretchered off. Yeah. It has it turns out to be back spasms or whatever, thank God. Right. And a couple but days he was later in the hospital overnight. Like, yeah, a couple <laughs> days later he's thrown he's thrown into it uh, <laughs> as a replacement and yeah. you know, he doesn't score he hasn't scored a worldly or anything yet. So of course it, he he's been a bust. But no, even a couple weeks ago we were talking about the the Nabi Keita's zone of death. Yeah. Thanks to Babu. And he's been up to this point, he's been this player that we thought him to like, okay, we, we still want to see maybe a little bit more, uh, you know, finishing our creativity in the final third that'll come. Um, but I don't know. It's just been to single out Keita or at least Keita's playing like Fabinho. I don't even know where this is coming from. Like they just, <laughs> like <laughs> they've just the decided that he's not good. Like the man's played, I don't know what, like 120 minutes of football this season. I, I, I have no idea. Um, but no, like Nabi's had his ha- had his minutes. He's impressed. You know, I'll say two out of every three matches. But I, I think it's just there's a bigger tactical thing at play here. 
And I think it is that commitment to defense, but also, I mean, I, the, the second result of Chelsea in the league, the result against City, I'm okay with both of those results. Like, I'm okay with two of those draws. The, the one against Chelsea in the League Cup, I, fe- I, I felt like we should have gotten more out of that. We could have. They were there for the taking. And same for Napoli. Like, I look back and I just think, you know, I don't know how the rest of the group stage is going to play out. But Napoli, that was our chance to, after beating PSG, Napoli away was our chance to... I don't know, just kind of grab grab the group stages by the reins and, and make it ours. And I feel like that was just a huge missed opportunity for the team just in general not to show up. So I don't know. We've we've played well. We've defended well in the most important area of the pitch, which, believe it or not, for Liverpool is not the front three. <laughs> it, it's the back five. But we know now that we've got that confidence and stability in defense – we know that we we can look to push push it a little bit and think about introducing um, a Shakiri or, or pushing Nabi up a little bit more to try to help try, try to help that front three gel because I think it'll help Firmino in his position and his ability to link up with other players and that in terms will of course open up Mane and Salah too because right now like you said it's too much full back to forward. And not enough midfield play there to help them all out. So, um, yeah, I think the Nobby the Nobby stuff is is so overblown as obviously Twitter is is want to be. Um, but the uh, the overall, I I think there was a there was a moment in the match where Nobby had got into the box and had uh, had an opportunity to kind of get a shot off. Um, but couldn't get it out of his feet um, from close range. And then uh, it ended up falling to Salah, I think, who had a block shot um, in front of goal as well. It was kind of the one moment of the match where I thought we might actually score. Um, mm-hmm. But like you said, um, our commitment to to defensive stability, and it's, and it's something that for years and years and years, everyone at Liverpool has been shouting and screaming and like pulling their hair out about, yeah, we need to concede less. We need to, we need to shore up at the back. And, uh, this performance against Manchester city, um, from our, our, uh, he, he's, he's near hall of fame status if he isn't already, but he's been a hero before Alex Mansfield, um, with the stat that, that Liverpool held man city to a 0.31 <laughs> non-penalty Ridiculous. expected goals the lowest premier league figure for uh for city since guardiola joined in 16-17 and the next lowest was 0.35 which was new year's day 2016 <laughs> at anfield against liverpool so um certainly klopp has has helped uh kind of figure out city i think to an extent but at the same time um a 0.31 is i'd be happy with a 0.31 against you know cardiff like <laughs> let alone against Manchester City, the you know, one of the best attacking teams on the planet. So um not all bad signs, uh, like we said it. Everyone's in meltdown and here we are joint top. Yeah. <laughs> and we're I mean we're exact even we might be exaggerating a little bit because in terms of the chances we're creating, we're still second, I think, behind City. City's a way ahead of us and and that's just the reality when when we were on top, when Chelsea was on top of the league, 
that was just a momentary kind of blink. Like this city squad is is at a different level. They're 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 playing in a different league almost in terms of the chances that they're creating, the chances that they're allowing. But we know we can go toe to toe to them, and I'm just happy that we're defeating <laughs> defeating a lot of the teams that have kind of we struggled with that before too. Um, but while we're talking about that, I just want to call out Arsenal's unbelievably ridiculous <laughs> goal scored yeah. compared to expected goals. <laughs> so right now they're they're second in the league in goal scored with 19, two behind City that have 21. Yeah, their expected goals 10.4. <laughs> <laughs> so just about eight or nine goals more than what they should have. Now, I think a part of this is the talent that Arsenal have. You know, we don't usually give credit to, to, other, to other top teams here. But Arsenal are loaded with high-quality players that can almost like a De Gea for United, right? You can give up chances when you have a world-class keeper that, that's able to stop chances. Like Lacazette, Obama Yang. Gatarian, uh, Ozil, everybody, right? They, these players are capable of unbelievably world-class finishes. So they're punching well above their weight, I think, and that's been shown in many of the matches, even the results that they're getting. Um, but no, we're we're up there. We're, we're above them. We're creating chances. Even just the way that uh, – how many of Salah shots have you seen that are just like – kind of tame curled efforts like right towards the keeper yeah you know and that's just space is there the chances are coming maybe not as many as we like but they'll start to finish those they'll start to create more clear-cut chances too i i have to take a break and rewind to to arsenal for a second because (laughs) everyone is acting like this is this big shock right like oh my god no one expected arsenal to be, you know, to have, you know, they've won eight straight, I think, um, in all competitions or something like that. Um, and everyone is now fawning over Arsenal because Aaron Ramsey scored a goal. So hide your famous relatives or (laughs) loved ones, um, because something's about to happen. But if they are literally playing in, in Arsenal, like fan 12 year olds FIFA save in terms of the talent (laughs) they have. It's like, I'm talking like FIFA 2016, you sign Aubameyang, Lacazette, Mkhitaryan, like that whole, and still have (laughs) Ozil, Xhaka, the whole night. Like no one is looking at that team and saying, wow, I'm surprised to see them towards the top. You know? Yeah. They're loaded. They're loaded. It's absolutely insane that they've allowed or that they've convinced people that they're overperforming the, the expect, if I have Aubameyang and Lacazette, I should be a title contender. Yeah. No questions asked. I should definitely have top four. Um, so I think it's hilarious that they've kind of molded this, this like underdog narrative, behind two of the t- best strikers on earth <laughs> playing in the same team. Um, uh, yeah, it's just absolutely shocking. And, and, you know, credit to Arsene Wenger for refusing to play them together. Um, Cause obviously it is yielding huge dividends um, <laughs> because like you said, they're outperforming their XG and I'd, I'd expect that to continue just because the, you, those are two of two of the best goal scorers 
um, you know, in Europe of the last five years um, playing in the same team. So they, they remind me a little bit of, of Liverpool um, in like 13, 14, because they have like elite goal scorers and their defense is just absolutely like in a catastrophic shoddy. <laughs> they are anytime I've watched them this season, like art, they don't look like a different team, no. right? It, you, you could, Wenger could still very well be, be managing that squad because I've watched and at times they've, they've looked just flat out bad, like against Everton, Everton and some of the other horrible. matches they've had this season. But when you've got that, that type of firepower, like, of course you can drop five on Fulham, even though XG was like 1.5 to like 1.3. Like yeah. it was, <laughs> it was like ridiculous. So I mean, credit to them though. I mean, you know, yeah. we're, we're close with the, the EP Gooners. So yeah. n- nothing but love for them. So yeah. long as they're only making the top four and, you know, not really, not really upsetting us, but I'm looking forward to the Arsenal Liverpool match because I think, we've got something to prove. And I think Arsenal is, is the type of top side where if we hit, we can really, you know, we, we, we in managerial careers when, <laughs> yeah, when we're hitting on that stride. So, yeah. Yeah. We, I, I, I salivate when I look at their, at their defense. Um, the idea of hitting them on the break is, is great, but I will say <laughs> when that, when that, uh, game does come around, um, I think uh I think we'll have to have the the main gooner Pinchy Ponchi on the uh on the Ooh, airwaves. He's never been a, a two ray gringos guest. He hasn't. I, I think it's I think it's overdue, it. yeah. So we'll have to have him <laughs> on. So speaking of speaking of our we normally do a our, our social media rev- media review, um and we talk about our heroes and villains. Uh, of social media, we got a lot of villains to cover, so I'm I'm kind of tempted to start there. I, you know, I let's start with the hero. Okay, let's start, we'll start with, with the hero, hero because uh, as we typically do, we like just bringing LSC Twitter down. Yeah, not not that it can get any lower, yeah. but we like calling it out for its bullshit. Yeah. All right, so we'll start with the we'll start with the hero, and and the hero was a, a video that that came off of Soccer AM. Um, they, they always do like top bins, like volley challenges and stuff. And they'll have, you know, guests, guests on try, you know, attempt to, to score a goal into the, into the upper 90. Um, and in this case they had Jamie Carragher, LFC legend, um, you know, now of sky sports on the, on the show and it was raining outside. So he is holding an umbrella and he smashes a volley in into the side netting. Not quite an it wasn't top top bins, but it was it was into the side netting. It was a real a really good goal in like normal shoes as well. Like not <laughs> he's, he's like wearing dress pants, you know, like a button down under tricky outfit. Yeah. Yeah. He's wearing slacks and he's holding an umbrella and smashes a volley into the side netting and then just stares down the camera. That's his look now, right? That's his yeah. thing. Like the yeah. lean just in the, and the intense lean and stare. Um, and so I had actually, uh, are, are you familiar with Mundial, the magazine? Yeah. So, so that was that was the angle that I took on it was 
Jamie Carragher hitting, <laughs> striking a volley like that while holding an umbrella is the most Mundial mag thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> um, and uh, that actually did some numbers. So credit to Twitter for my derivative tweet off of uh, LFC Stanley House, who, who originally tweeted out the video for me to see. Oh, okay. Credit to Stanley House. I'm a little... I, I like I like him, but sometimes it's a little much. Sometimes it's he's, a little much. He's a Manhattan doc of sorts. Yeah, he he's like an early... The early era of yeah. Manhattan Doc before like, he got off his meds or whatever. Manhattan Doc, not yeah, whatever not. his pseudonyms have been since then. <laughs> I can't. You know, I I I I unfollowed him a while ago. It just got too much. But yeah, Stanley's got just the typical like I don't know bro jokes that go out there. But he's got he's got quality content. He's yeah. providing quality content for LSC Twitter. Yeah, and content is king, you know. That's uh, so you just gotta you gotta keep it going. And so I I appreciated that volley though from Jamie. My only wish is that I wish that goal had hit the post instead of the strike against <laughs> QPR. So <laughs> you see you see these clips of him just just banging banging these in, and you wonder how did this man only score what was it two goals for us or whatever in like seven hundred competitive <laughs> scored, matches or something scored on like his that. debut. And then one like one or two other times, maybe. And should have scored against QPR if there was any justice in this world. Yeah. But we're not we're not going down that road again. No. All right. So now that we've covered the positive of Twitter, we gotta dive into the you know, the majority of it, which is the negative. Um, yeah. I'll, let me kick this yeah, one off. Yeah, go for it. Because I found yeah. some low life on Twitter, <laughs> which is the worst quote. Does Navigata even add anything to Liverpool's midfield? Yeah. Do you know who said that? That was me, but I have to explain myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, I, I think that this was actually a prank, um, but I liked the concept of, of the tweet, right? So you see those tweet yeah. games go around of like, oh, you know, this and this is, is your – you know, movie star name or whatever, like stuff trying to get your credit card info, um, yeah. your, your security questions. Well, this one was just a more <laughs> simple game. It was, it was tweet something that is so like off brand or so jarring that like, if you were being held hostage and they told you to keep tweeting so that people, <laughs> people didn't think that you were, you know, being held captive what is a tweet that would alert your followers to something is wrong? <laughs> <laughs> and so that was my that was my tweet. Does Nabi Keita even add anything to Liverpool's midfield? Would be a tweet so jarring and so shocking that uh, my followers would know something is wrong. So I feel like you you honed in on that. Yeah, I, I did. I did. <laughs> I, I picked it out because I wanted to throw you under the bus because when I was looking <laughs> at Twitter villains, I felt like the biggest villain on LFC Twitter, at least this morning when I was just so excited to see Trent sitting down with the chess master. And I did the whole, you know, this shit's chess. It's not checkers. And I was like, well, I got to have something else to give it context. So I picked on, you know, how much Kleine. love I've got for Natty Klein. Yeah. And, and I just, I, I picked on some bullshit tabloid that had actually been deleted <laughs> That story had been deleted. So they removed the, tabloid. the story 
of Klein, yeah. A tabloid the, wasn't even tabloid, willing to stand by this story. Yeah, the tabloid did not – the Daily Star, God knows what it was. And the actual photo that the website was this big, busty woman with a sign that says, like, oops, no longer available. Like, <laughs> this is the level of content we're dealing with here. And they said, no, we can't run with this story anymore. It's, <laughs> it's affecting our credibility. Let's put up the big, busty woman. And so I, you know, I found the tweet. I, I grabbed a screenshot of it. I wanted to. But I, want, I really wanted – and the only reason I posted that one is because I couldn't find the Nathaniel Klein hires luxury lot yacht for – and invites 14 women aboard. Like right. I, that to me would have been – the Twitter hero right there, yeah. but I don't think that's the thing. I don't think any of these Klein stories exist. No, like none of them. Like he got injured a year ago, yep. And then all these stories came out about him doing God. I don't even know what they do with balloons there, but he was doing yeah. something with a balloon. Then, oh yeah, whippets, sex tapes, yachts, pay, and then they're saying like paying for sex when all it was is apparently said like. Basically, ooh, girl, I'm going to take you on a shopping spree or something like that, you know, <laughs> like which you'll find in 50 percent of pop hits out there now. But anyway, yeah. I felt like the villain for disrespecting a man who whose name I almost got on the back of my kit two seasons ago. Yeah. But I didn't want to ruin it for him. So my <laughs> deepest apologies. Well, so Daniel. Yeah, everything has gone south for him ever since his appearance on Love and Hip Hop Miami. So, <laughs> I, I forgot. I completely forgot about SL. That's the one <laughs> Klein story that's actually true. Yeah, I'm gonna. I, we can keep moving, but I'm gonna try to find that clip because I want. <laughs> I want that in here. Um, it has to be. It has to be. Um, but so the next, the next one, we had. John Terry announced his retirement from Was he not already retired? (laughs) He was I mean, he was playing for Aston Villa, so you know, six of one, half dozen the other. Like (laughs) (laughs) uh but the uh John Terry, obviously a highly divisive character. No, I won't even go that far. Yeah, that's that's been John Terry John Terry, uh notorious piece of shit. Like <laughs> retires from retires from football, right? And there has been nothing but an outpouring of of respect from from former pros. And even though you know Kara was our was our hero, he he starts seeping over into villain here because he said you know one of the best pros I played against and and just always always a competitor and England captain and all this stuff. Uh, Stevie, same thing. Uh, you know, I hated playing against you, but I was, you know, proud to have played with you all this, all this. And it's just, it's absurd. Convicted racist, John Terry. I think we, we could have easily let off like this or, or any number of things, you know, guy who cheats or who sleeps with his teammates twice, any, like anything (laughs) like he's, he's literally the worst. You don't have to dig deep to find anything on John Terry. I, it's not even that you don't have to dig deep. It's a disservice to the life that he's lived to not call out these things in his retirement. <laughs> I feel like he wants to be known for this. Yeah. He wants the, he wants these things in his obituary <laughs> that he had his teammate's wife cheat on him or yeah. all, all of these things. Right. But 
John Terry is, I'm not even say for better or worse, just for worse and, and for all that they are in general, he is Chelsea FC. Like yeah. the, it, it, it's so fitting that he probably more so than even like Frank Lampard and others like John Terry is kind of when we think of Chelsea FC, we think John Terry and we think, you know, kicking foreigners or black people off of a train in London, sleeping with your teammates, wives, racially abusing people. That is what John Terry needs to be known for. Yes, he was a good center back. But he was just a all around piece of shit in general. So we got to give credit where credit's due. Yeah, he uh, he's just he's one of those dudes that he's not. No one, not, no one owes John Terry anything, right? Like, um, and his yeah. I mean, you summed it up pretty pretty well. I'd say with uh, he he is Chelsea. And that's what the embodiment, the embodiment of that club and its and its fan base. Yeah, like successful pieces of shit. Right. <laughs> like you could say, like successful comma pieces of shit, just successful pieces of shit. However you wanna, however you wanna <laughs> grammatically structure that, it it all works. But maybe they're just afraid of like retribution. Maybe Terry's gonna go like on the hunt for their wives or something like that. <laughs> like they. I'll if they don't pay homage to, <laughs> I'll re- to the I'll, Chelsea FC legend. I'll remember I'll remember John for the moment that I think he'd want to be remembered by, which is when he was taking a penalty in Moscow. Um and I've never been happy to see Manchester United win a trophy. But <laughs> John Terry <laughs> slipping on the slick pitch in Moscow, skying the penalty. Speaking of, you know, skied penalties. That's another. That's a. <laughs> I should have thrown. I should have thrown John Terry into the into the mix up in there because uh, that, that is a bad one. It all came around full circle. So yeah, slipping, the worst is John Terry. Slipping and crying. Um, that is. I will. I will remember him as as crying in Moscow um, at the end of that Champions that's, League final in two thousand two thousand and seven. That's the only thing I'll thank him for because in hindsight, he saved like in terms of Twitter football battles. That's the only ammunition we have <laughs> against little Chelsea twerps on there posting the, the Gerard slip. Oh yeah. All you need to do is just post the Terry slip. And so it's all, it's yeah. okay. So thank you, John Terry. Yeah. For, for ruining that chance at, at silverware for the club yeah. and giving us, giving us fodder to fight back the the hazard fanboys on Twitter. And I'll I'll bring this I'll, I'll bring this back even even further but um the 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 fans um the other villains this year are the fans or every year but uh this week are anyone who is singing the slip song in a match that doesn't involve Liverpool at all. Um, that has happened both with Chelsea city and United fans in games where Liverpool is not playing. (laughs) They sing the Stevie G slip song. And I just, I can't think of, of anything weirder than the obsession 
can you think of a song that Liverpool sing about Manchester United when we're not playing Manchester United? Or no. or only yeah. even the only thing I can think of targeted towards another club is I mean everybody's favorite, the classic fuck off Chelsea FC. Mm-hmm. But we only like when you guys were in Chicago, when did you start singing fuck off Chelsea FC when you guys were all in the bar? Playing Chelsea? Wait, no, the the summer. The oh, summer game. when a Chelsea fan like yeah. was in earshot. Yeah. Yeah, walked into the bar, right? So it's always towards Chelsea. Like what is the point? Like Yeah, we wouldn't just start singing Chelsea- it, you know, against Huddersfield at Anfield. Like that's a- <laughs> I don't know, that's, that's a good song. But anyway, but yeah, it's always like <laughs> like because you're not thinking about it. We're not playing a match against Huddersfield. We're not, you know, when we play Cardiff city next, we're not thinking about, man, just fuck Chelsea. You know, as tempting <laughs> as an urge as that is that, that thought doesn't cross our mind because that's not the way this fan base is structured, you know, for Chelsea city. I understand it because all they have are these kind of new waves of fan that come about as success. And they're just constantly have this chip on their shoulder and worried about, not winning every single trophy because they just take that for granted. Right. And so these clubs are just obsessed with other teams and, and less about us. And it reminds me, there is one, one thing, another villain that popped up on Twitter today with some, some bro named Carl or whatever started talking about how every, all the other clubs hate Liverpool and they, they, they never want them to win. And so the natural response was, this is why we always say Scouse, not English, or why we never root for England mm-hmm. in the World Cup from LSC Twitter. So responded well. Yeah. Kind of a, kind of a Twitter moment to, to counteract that villain moment. <laughs> I'll, uh, the last thing I'll say about John Terry is that at the, at the rate of, uh, you know, you said that maybe he wants to be remembered for his, his notoriety and, and all the bad things that he did during his career. Um, but at the pace he's going, he'll be president in like eight years uh, of the United States. So, you know. Yeah, probably. <laughs> or maybe prime minister. <laughs> I don't know. But um, he's got the right list of, of offenses, you know. Character to, defects. Yeah, he's he's in, in good company. Um, or Supreme Court justice. Is there a citizenship uh, requirement for that one? Or You know, I don't know. But then again, too, like citizenship rules went out the window. You know, everybody said, oh, we're getting into it. But basically, Ted Cruz. (laughs) Fuck Ted Cruz. Yeah, Ted Cruz. Fuck Ted Cruz. Um, Oh, (laughs) and uh, as as of this recording, uh, if you are are in Texas uh, and you're not registered to vote, tomorrow is the deadline. It is the 8th now. The 9th is the deadline. So make sure you're good to, to vote. So. You guys That's, have no excuses because I live in Mexico City and I'm a registered El Paso yeah, County voter. Yeah, and that's what – just uh, – yeah, make sure you're good to go. Now, the real villain that we want to talk about this week, and I, I hate I hate to, to make her the villain because um, she's a great pro and one of the best of all time. But you you spotted this abomination – on your timeline, a true offense. It, I, true it shocked. Offense. It shocked the senses when I saw it. <laughs> I've seen. I've seen some weird stuff on on the internet, um, but this was truly shocking. You got to go to the deep web to find stuff like this. 
Deep smut, web, dark web. Smut like this. <laughs> <laughs> Some good fashion smut. But so, yeah, it, uh, yeah. all credit to Serena, because we know Serena gets a bad rap for all of the bullshit that we know happens on social media news outlets and how yeah. African-American women are portrayed, especially one that dominates frail looking white women. So that like all credit, let's, let's just give Serena credit as being yeah. one of, one of the all time, one of the all time go to emojis out there. Yeah. But, but Serena Williams, <laughs> but <laughs> that's got an asterisk on it now, because if there's one thing that you can do to deeply offend the two red gringos, it's to blaspheme tacos. Yeah. And Serena posts something, I think it was today Something about it, it's taco day. I don't know if it was like a trending taco day, one of those fake holiday taco days. Maybe just Serena was just really jacked to the tits for some tacos. I don't know. That's okay. <laughs> but what she posted looked like some stock photo of two I, – I, I, I thought it was a Doritos Locos taco. It but looks like shout that. Out, shout out to Armando Garcia at CM Garcia 14. Yeah. For saying that it might have been the old El Paso nacho cheese taco shell that stands up on his own. Right. Because what what more do Americans want than a taco that will sit vertically yes. in the air? Like I, I don't know why that's a thing. But anyway. <laughs> so Serena posts one of the one of the tortillas looked okay. It looked like a flour tortilla, which I prefer. Yeah. You know, and yeah. we're not getting we're not going to get into the demographics flour and the historical significance of flour versus corn, but I do prefer flour. Sure. But that one was also standing upright. You can't have a flour tortilla with that type of durability, whether it's fried or not. <laughs> but the only thing that appeared to be in these tacos was lettuce. <laughs> like you could not spot. There's no like hot sauce. No Mama Cholula in the corner lurking or anything like that. No little piece of ground beef that had spilled out. No pastor, no chicken. All you could see was just mounds of lettuce inside of what appeared to be a Doritos Locos slash Old El Paso shell <laughs> and some type of phony – it had to be like that fake fruit that they sell at like – or don't sell, but they display like furniture shops or whatever to show off a table. Like, oh, this is how your fruit will look when you buy this table. Right. <laughs> so many things were wrong with this stock photo with these vertically positioned tacos that had absolutely nothing in them but lettuce. And so for that reason, Serena Williams was my ultimate Twitter villain of – I, we'll just say the week, just of yeah, the week. Of the week. But she, I mean, truly, if if you haven't seen them yet, um, I mean, trigger warning, <laughs> worst, <laughs> worst tacos you've ever seen in your life. So if you're triggered by bad tacos, which we both are, um, then, then you will be set off uh, by this post. But you definitely need to need to take a look because it really needs to be seen to be believed. Um, it's that bad. It, yeah, it, it's an abomination. It's nothing short of being the worst thing I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> so, um, so the last thing uh, that that I want to talk about is it. It is Jurgen Day. Three mm. three years ago to the day, 
uh, Jurgen Klopp joined Liverpool Football Club, and uh, I was looking back through some of the reactions. Um, I know we had had we had had a debate um, pitting pitting Klopp against Ancelotti because those were the two the two rumored targets. Um, yep. Yep. But in the end, like when Klopp signed, uh, there was an outpouring of of just hope and joy that out of the Liverpool fan base that I haven't seen in quite some time. And, and Jurgen, I mean, for the most part, he's living up to it, right? Yeah, we can, we can acknowledge what he's done while what we've also missed out on. But the big takeaway is number one, the, the style that we play changed from day one. Look at the squad, (laughs) look at how we play now compared to, what it was in the years before, right? The, <laughs> the, the, the picture about the last squad to face Napoli or whatever was going around. But to me, it, and I think we're more pro Rogers than most. Like we, we loved what Brendan accomplished. I'm not going to say I got a bad rap, but his, <laughs> his performance in the champions league, compared to Jurgen's performance with us in the Champions League, just shows us how far we've come. We're, we've still fallen short a couple times, but the amount of growth that we've made is just, it, it's, it, we, we've got the best, the best team, arguably, in the world to watch. And we've got world-class players that are, that are finally coming in and, and buying into something that's, that's incredible. So, I mean, that's, that's all the praise I can give to Jurgen, and then on top of that, just his whole attitude just meshes perfectly with everything that the club is about, which includes you know maybe drinking and cursing a little bit too much, but that's that's why we love him. So we have all of these things, not just because he's running around giving giving hugs to, to to people when they come off the pitch. It's what he's instilled in this football club and the level that we're playing at. Yeah, I. I think I think Jurgen right now is he's the embodiment of of like you said it, he he embodies a lot of what people love about Liverpool um but also when you look at him and, and like you said the amount of growth we've had and the style of play that we play he he's the first manager that we've had in a long time where when people speak about other managers across the world, I'm not, oh, man, I wish we could get <laughs> yeah. X or Y or Z. There's no one else I would rather have at the team than, than Klopp. And I think, yeah. he's, I think he's shown exactly why that's the case. But it's, um, it's refreshing, and it's, and it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of a uh, – I don't know. I, I I don't look at any other club with jealousy in terms of their manager, uh, which what you know it wasn't the case um, for the last. God, I mean, basically since Rafa since Rafa left, yeah. Um, I I've been plenty jealous of of many managers across <laughs> across well, Europe, just, um, and not just the managers, but the pull the pull that those managers have to right. And I think that's uh, one of the biggest differences, obviously, because. We both were were on you know Rogers' side 
um, in terms of wanting to see him succeed at Liverpool. And yep. we were grateful, you know, for what he did do because he, he raised the, the ambition, um, from where it had been, um, to, to what it is now. But, you know, his admission that he didn't have that, he didn't have that ability to convince players to come the very high profile guys. And he would lean on, yeah. on Stevie to ask that's, you know, Jurgen is the guy who's texting Mbappe like after the world cup and stuff, Like that's, a, <laughs> <laughs> that's the, like, that's how rumors start. Yeah. And that's, that's a, um, I don't know. Jurgen is the guy who's, uh, putting the calls in. And obviously we have, you know, we have players who have pull as well now, um, where Mo and, and, and Bobby are texting Allison, um, yeah, like, Hey, come on. Like, when are you going to, yeah. when are you going to sign? It up. Um, but no, there's, I mean, it's obvious that, that players all over Europe want to, want to play for, for Jurgen and having him on, on board is, is just about the best thing that, that we can hope for. And I think as you watch, you know, what's going on, um, at United with Mourinho, um, we can see that. Klopp in all of his jobs, he's lasted seven years, uh, seven years with Mainz, seven years with Dortmund. And he, he's continuously improving or, you know, he's like progressing. Um, maybe not his last season at Dortmund, but you know, for the six seasons prior, you know, the club was at a very different place than when he, when he got there. Um, whereas, you know, at United right now, we see Mourinho in his current, you know, third season meltdown, um, and they prolonged it by another week. Thank, you know, thank, thank God, um, against, you know, a, a pretty poor Newcastle side. Um, but the, the amount of goodwill that Jurgen has built up in three years versus the amount of ill will that, that Jose's, you know, built up in three years. It's, uh, it, it yeah. it's just one of those things where there's no, no other manager I, I'd rather have. And there's no, I don't know that there's a better man for this job um, right now. So it is a happy Jurgen day indeed, even though um, we didn't quite get the result we wanted in the last match. But it's always it's always positive and, and optimistic uh, with Klopp at the helm, where when we started the show four years ago with, with Brendan, we were talking about <laughs> – three one defeats you know at home to west ham so <laughs> in funnily i think is it antonio mm-hmm. for west ham the last player to score the last opposition player to score at anfield some yes. i don't know 30 years ago or something like that <laughs> whatever, our, whatever our defensive record is yeah. so Absolutely no i mean insane. we're 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 getting to the point i think we've got this season the side that Klopp wants and has been building to. And so as, as that stability comes, I think we'll find, we'll find the overall game will begin to improve as well. And so the fact that we sit kind of joint top of the league, just back on goal difference is a great place to be in given that we haven't been firing on all cylinders. And also given the fact that we've had the hardest run in the premier league so far this season. So all credit to Klopp and, Long may it continue. Yeah, we're uh, we're looking at a very uh, a very good season, I think, and uh, and one where 
now we have a, a competitive Premier League uh, with three teams joint top on 20 points and uh, a couple teams lurking just beneath uh, from North London with Spurs and Arsenal. So um, the last the last point I'll make about Jurgen is, uh, or the last question I'll ask is, he was asked about the UEFA Nations, uh, yeah, Nations League, um, <laughs> because of the international break these next two weeks, uh, and he called it the... <laughs> most senseless competition in, in world <laughs> football. Um, what is your, your, your brief thoughts on the nation's league and, uh, and kind of the added stress uh, that it puts on, on the top players. I've got no problem with international friendlies because it's this notion that we're, we're out there, we're getting minutes, we're, we're trying to gel. So coming up with these faux competitions or tournaments as a means of somehow making these more exciting, some bullshit media ploy, you know, to try to jump up ratings and to get it, it, it just kind of screams all things like, I don't know, maybe they, maybe they saw what the U S and some were doing and thought, Hey, maybe we could start adopting some of that too, to get, to get our Pulisic's and, and our top players to actually show up for these matches. But no, like there's no reason after a world cup to have any type of fake tournament or <laughs> fake competition or round of games too. Like it's kind of exciting for England to have some of the new players that, that they're calling up, but, but no, that that's what it should be like roll out, roll out some new people. If I was Klopp, especially with Sturridge, like, do not let Sturridge go anywhere if he's called up, because England will be his kryptonite. And so then, then we'll have more words about <laughs> uh, about this if 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 Sturridge was called up and got injured. But I, I'm not sure if he was. Yeah, I have a uh, I have an existential dread about the international break already, um, of just that lingering feeling in the back of my mind at all times of this is going to be the moment when, you know, X player uh, is done for the season because of something that happened in the international break. But my, my only, my only real gripe is the fact that you have players um, who are going to put in just absurd minutes for Liverpool um, this season, you know, across the competitions. Um, you know, maybe it's a blessing that we're out of the league cup at this point, but you have players who are, who are going to put in some insane minutes, uh, and then they're going to be expected for their country now to play competitive matches in those international breaks. Uh, so rather than maybe playing 45 here, you know, an hour here, it's, you know, they're going to play 90 minutes, uh, most of the time because, uh, you know, one Aldum Henderson, uh, Van Dyke, Trent, even, you know, now kind of, uh, potentially getting minutes with England and Robertson definitely playing for, he's captaining Scotland now. So yeah. you just have all of these opportunities where you kind of think across the front three, like, okay, well, nation's league doesn't really, doesn't really affect us. We've got, you know, two, two African players and a, and a South American. So we're good there. Um, but some of our <laughs> hardest working players and, and most minute, getters are are Europeans who are now going to be expected to to play yeah. competitive minutes uh in the international break and I 
I think between the World Cup and the World Cup to now to, okay, straight back into this fake competition that we've created, it just, the stress on, uh, on, on some of these players is going to be something that they haven't experienced before. And, you know, for what purpose, uh, you know, ultimately it's just to make UEFA more money. Yeah. And I mean, at least Milner gets a break. Finally, <laughs> he he literally ran until I think one of his legs fell off. <laughs> a, gasket, a gasket broke or, you know, some <laughs> kind of a gear slipped out of place. Because he is a robot. Yeah, um, they're ordering the new parts, and yeah. the, they'll they'll arrive prior to. But yeah, I I mean, I'm just hoping, especially for for our young guys like Gomez and and Trent, those minutes add up really quickly, especially for like a fullback position if Gomez is covering both. So yeah, I don't know. Pointless. Yeah. So I I agree with Jurgen, as in most things. Um, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. Beers, cigars, yep. fake international competitions. Yep. Yeah. Uh, our next, our next competitive match is Huddersfield uh, in two weeks' time. Uh, and I don't know that there's a better, maybe Cardiff, but I don't know that there's a better kind of bounce back from the international break confidence boost type match than, than Huddersfield who along with Cardiff look like they're going to be cut adrift <laughs> from the premier league pretty, pretty early on in this campaign. There there's woeful like Newcastle have been woeful, but you with Benitez, you never know. Like they could pull something, pull something out of their ass. Huddersfield, especially good God. Like they have just been just bad. And so that <laughs> it's all shaping up hopefully with, with the rest and with our front three able to rest with a little, with, with some depth with Nabby Fabinho and, and others in the midfield, Milner even will we'll be sitting it out. So with them having some rest, hopefully that's a time for them to start firing. But also I just love those kickoff times are, are what we live for in the U S 1130. Oh crap. I'm going to have to check uh, daylight savings time. Cause it's all, I'm going to be back on mountain time. I think towards the end of the month, but 1130, my time, yep. 1030 mountain time kickoff on a Saturday. Yep. I mean, it's as good as that, it gets. That's, that's the day sorted right there. <laughs> yeah, that'll be uh that'll be a fun one. We actually have, if I'm looking at this, correctly um we will have huddersfield followed by red star in the champions league followed by cardiff the following weekend so that is a nice run of games to to get the confidence especially for the front three to to grab some goals and and uh hopefully put all three of those teams to the to the proverbial sword. Yeah. And Arsenal too, while we're at it, you know, let's not, let's not leave them out. <laughs> they, uh, they do have us the, the following weekend, I believe. Um, that is, that is a great, a great, an 1130 AM mountain time kickoff between Arsenal and Liverpool on a Saturday. That is peak, Ooh. peak 
rocking cigar bar That's good stuff. to be rocking. Oh, and that is when I temporarily moved back to Mountain Time. So you'll be you'll be on the same on the I'll same. I'll be I'll be there in spirit. <laughs> when you said temporarily move back, I was like, "Oh damn, you're gonna be." <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll be at El Paso sometime, sometime. But at no, some it, it it wreaks havoc on the work life whenever you move from Central Time to Mountain Time. Oh, absolutely. For about a week, and then you go back. I yeah, no, I can't. People don't think of an hour difference as that big a deal, but it's it's game changing. Yeah, I when when I was in, I mean, you went to Tucson too. When I was in LA, yeah. just for a few days, and I'm still I'm still off, and I I travel a decent amount for work too. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's a doozy. <laughs> well, I uh, I thought there was only one pro, or only one song that could play us out with what's been going on with our main man, Mo, and all the talk surrounding him. So I think this is the only fitting. Because, let's face it, Mo money, Mo problems, you know? <laughs> Mo goals? Mo Mo. Saw. Mo Salah. Salah. <laughs> Mo, Mo goals. He, he's uh, made the shortlist for the, the Ballon d'Or along with the uh, the others of the front three. So Not so not so short of a list. No, there's 30 people on it. <laughs> Bleacher Report put out their, like, top 11, like, Ballon d'Or, su- like, snubs or whatever. I gotta find that list. If you're it not in the top collection. thirty, like, yeah, you don't have many arguments. A collect like De Gea was on there and Lewandowski, so like those were the two decent ones. But like, right. Matuidi was on there. <laughs> like, what? You may like, as well just put the whole French national team on there. <laughs> if that's, I mean, like, if we're putting Matuidi on there, like, uh, yeah, just so they, anyone they who won the World Cup. Yeah, Chiellini. I think was was their center back choice. Like, oh my God. just because they're good, <laughs> doesn't mean they should be nominated. They, for the uh, but here's how here's how Bleacher Report made that list. They they went to they went to FIFA, like they went to <laughs> Foothead.com or whatever, and they sorted by overall ranking and then whoever or overall rating and then whoever wasn't in the Ballon d'Or based off of their FIFA ranking, that was the snub. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. That's absurd. I think they literally did just Google top FIFA ratings. And then I'm sure right like, after oh, that, Chiellini. they top FIFA prospects. Yeah. Because I'm sure... Oh, their career mode. Oh, man. Some of their stuff, I, I'll bet. I'm, some of FIFA's stats just blow me away. Um, but the... Uh, <laughs> I, I would love to see a list of everyone everyone ra- rated faster than Joe Gomez, and I'd love to see that because <laughs> I guarantee you he's criminally underrated for pace. I, I feel like Jeff Goldblum in, in Thor Ragnarok, where the big hologram pops up, and he's like, 
take to the streets, find my channel. Like, we need LSC Twitter to take to the streets and find, compile this list of people in FIFA 19 who are faster than Joe Gomez. I'm going to get Babu on it again. Because what I love about him and the reason... I felt kind of bad because I said a tweet today like, oh, how did Ackerberg know like which way Mahrez is going to go like when they put the sheet up there? Right. Like 60% of his his penalties went to the keeper's left. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, who's going to respond to this? And immediately I thought, okay, maybe Sam McGuire. Maybe Babu will, will do it. And of course yeah. he swooped in and said something that I probably should have thought of. But, you know. But but didn't so. watching open open training sessions and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if he's got the FIFA 19 stats readily available because he's got every other stat. Under <laughs> yeah, <the> seriously. <laughs> no, that's what Babu Babu's approaching approaching Hall of Fame status um, at the rate he's going, but also that's responsive. Like so you gotta yeah. you, gotta you know he's that. not it's not too big, not yeah. too big to hang out with the little folks. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm confident that, that our main man Mo will, will shed his, his problems, um, in the couple, couple goals will, will do him right. Whenever he bounces back from break, let's not forget too. The man had his arms severed, <laughs> played in a world cup and then, and then has come back and, and he's still, has a pretty good haul so far. Could do better, but yeah. Yeah. And he's Everything. and he's still creating quite a few chances. So um, Oh yeah. Most of the uh, chances are up, dribbles past are up too, so yeah. he's on it. He's just just doesn't have that that killer effort that you know, he didn't have it at the start of last season either. So Right. He uh I did appreciate and I I tweeted about this. He there was one move where he just absolutely he put Mendy, it, you know, Mendy was just trying to tackle him at one point, um, like American football style. Oh yeah, just hauling him down, just just trying to drag drag him down. Um, I uh, I was I called it the Alberto Moreno defense. <laughs> But all you can do is try to recover and, and just, maul somebody. Just try desperately to to foul someone to to keep them from uh, from from schooling you. But uh, unfortunately, Mo not able to to capitalize on that this weekend. Although I think he certainly will uh, in the in the coming weeks. And a, a nice break with Egypt should should do him some. Yeah. Work. Speaking speaking of Mo's was. Is Dwight Schrute's brother in the office named Mo? Moe's. Moe's. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm asking because earlier today I responded to Squawka posting like the young the young player awards for yes. Ballon d'Or. Yes. Hey, you know, I did a little little fishing attempt saying not being biased in any way, but it's definitely Trent. Nobody else is even close. Right. You know, despite the fact that Mbappe's there. But which got it, which got its few bites, one of which being at QPR underscore Ash, who just quotes my tweet and says, in quotes, not being biased. 
So now I go in, I look at the profile, a little terrible Microsoft paint job being done on her on her image. Then I zoom in and she's got some filters on with a man in the photo that appears to be an overweight version of Moe's, <laughs> aka Dwight Shoots Shoots brother <laughs> from the office. So that's what I had going for me. <laughs> Guys, if you enjoyed that episode of Two Red Gringos, be sure to follow us at Two Red Gringos on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, also, be sure to check out the website, tworedgringos.com. Right now, we have an awesome collaboration with Icarus, uh, who created an amazing kit for us based off of a Bobby Firmino Instagram post. The Bobby Dazzler kit is available at tworedgringos.com. It is available at cost, and all of the proceeds from the sale of this kit will be matched in a donation to the Beto O'Rourke uh, Senate senatorial campaign here in Texas. Um, so, if you're interested in helping out with uh, that campaign, uh, and you're especially if you're from outside of Texas and can't get out the vote. Um, be sure to buy um, one of the Bobby Dazzlers uh, and do some good. Um, with that being said, guys, uh, you can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, uh, and uh, you can listen to it direct on the website. Again, to redgringos.com. Hope you've enjoyed the the episode and we will see you guys in a bit adios i'm good i'm good i'm great oh it's been a while now i'm mixing up the drink i just need a girl who gon' really understand i just need a girl who gon' really understand i've been popping just took three in a row i'm down to do it again i'm on a roll i've seen them outside trying to reach you